Thank you for listening to The Only Way Is Up, where we use science and spirituality to arm you in the battle of good mental health. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice from a qualified healthcare professional. If you have any medical concerns, please consult with your doctor. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. Everyone, welcome to the Only Way Is Up. I am your host, Chris G, and with me in the studio once again is perpetual, unwelcomed guest, Jack. Oh, Jack the Coasty, right? Not Jack H. Jack. Host, co-host. Oh, co-host. You can say those words. You're not going to break out into anything. I might. And I might. It's okay. I might burst into flames. Uh, I don't get it. Yeah, and yes, Jack the Coasty. It's a quick tagline. It kind of deals with my business and stuff so like that. It's a little. So. It's a little. You know, a little. Floofy. Well, it's one of the nicer things you've ever called me, to be honest with you. Wait, coasty or floofy? Uh, both, both, actually. <laughs> Typically, it's four-letter words. All right, and today we are bringing episode eight the journey of the Journey to Freedom series. So you are now finished with therapy. What now? Or so so you are finished with therapy. What now? Uh, Jack, you want to want to kick us off first? Actually, yeah. Before we start the podcast, let's um let's dive into some into some personal stuff. So, uh, it's Memorial Day. How was your Memorial Day weekend? It was, uh, I don't want to say uneventful, but it was actually pretty good. It was relaxing and everything else. How about you? Yeah, ours was good. We were in Alabama visiting family and, um, you know, I got to hang out on a boat all day long and play around. It was, uh, it was good. It's it, so being a veteran, like, sure. Memorial oh, you're talking Day. about yourself. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Not, not I you. realize you uh, served yeah. for, with the Coast Guard veteran. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 I provided a blanket of freedom that you sleep under, which is fine. My point is, is that you have Memorial Day and then you have Veterans Day. And Memorial Day is a day that we all remember those who have paid the final, the ultimate price. Okay. Right? What's Veterans Day then? For those who have served. So wait, that's so Veterans Day is serving you, and Memorial Day is is celebrating. So I'm sorry. So, so Veterans Day celebrates you. Who does Memorial Day celebrate? Remembrance of those that have passed. Have 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 died. So have died serving. Yes. Okay. Or have served and then died. Like. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like I'm actually glad, glad you made that distinction. I probably so, should have known that. But. Well, I guess my point is like it's weird when people come up and they on Memorial Day and they're like. Thank you for your service. And I'm like, I'm not dead. But <laughs> I understand where they're going with it. And I know there's going to be veterans out there that are just like, oh, you MFR, blah, 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 blah. Look, I, I got it, guys. It's me. It's just my brain. It's how I process it. And all I do in return, I was like, there's my pleasure. Right. They're, they're just trying to say something nice to you, even though it may not be true. Just something to make you feel good. Kind of like, Jack, you look like you've lost weight. Right. So I have, thank you for noticing. And that's what it is. And that's, that's what the whole mental uh, health issues is because, you know, nice things aren't supposed to be said about me or to me or anything like that. Right. Sure. And, and, and then this is, and then this is where we are, but you know, uh, so now, so now let's, now let's kick this one off. <laughs> yeah, so, I bet you wish so, you wouldn't have started that conversation. So Jack, you, you, uh, 
you had finished your therapy, although now you might need to get back into it. But yeah. uh, but that said, you're finished with therapy. What now? Take it away. First off, I just want to say, live happy and have a successful life. Good job. You, you've completed it. Remember to use your tricks and your tools uh, that you've learned throughout your therapy for coping and understand there will be bad days, but they will be nothing like what you have experienced in the past. And you can usually breathe your way through. Like we've talked about in these episodes with uh, breathing techniques, uh, using your essential oils, uh, do something because now we're out of therapy. Hopefully we're off of medication if you were on it. And you know, maybe you you start to realize yourself getting triggered and getting spun up. So you're like, you know what? I, I'm just going to step out of the room here for like two minutes. I'm going to do some breathing. I'm just going to bring myself back down. And I'm going to know that this is okay. I can get through this, even though it's a triggering thing for me. And we, I can be productive. Yeah, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being at a party and stepping out for five minutes just for some fresh air, so to speak, you know, in case you need. By the way, I, I think we should also define what being finished with therapy means it it doesn't just mean finished with your therapist but it would also indicate like ah okay like i'm now well enough to be off of medication i'm i'm in a good place i'm being surrounded by positivity not you know no longer surrounded by toxicity uh that is all that therapy in a nutshell is is you know what we're kind of indicating when you are finished with um, and yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, if you're stopping your CBT or talk therapy because you, for the appropriate reasons, because you feel like you are, are better and you are able to now move on, uh, then yes, then this is where, you know, you should pat yourself on the back. You know, you're, you're taking steps in the right direction. You're hopefully maintaining healthy habits like good food and, you know, not using drugs, not drinking in, in excess, of course. Um, well, hopefully at all, but you get the idea. Uh, um, and, and yeah, you know, you'll, you'll have a lot of tools in your toolbox to help you get through those bad moments because ultimately everybody, there isn't a single person on this planet that doesn't feel some kind of anxiety. And if you don't let it control you and, and, um, you know, you understand that setbacks or bad days are, are again, a normal thing for the population, unless you're manic which then you've got a whole set of other issues, then, then yes, um, you know, you're, you're, you're on the right track. So yeah, it's something to be proud of. And I think you, you, you stumbled on a key thing there. It's okay to look at it at this point and say, you know what, right now I'm feeling anxious. It's not the, oh my gosh, my anxiety is getting ready to ping through the roof. Yeah. I, I think there's two different things and you're, you're going, Chris has said it in the past. Uh, and so have I, is that there's going to be times you're going to be anxious and that's okay, but it is different from anxiety exactly yeah and um you know those bad moments they last shorter and shorter like basically like when you first feel panic attacks and, and, and horrible anxiety it feels like that can go on for the rest of your life but eventually you'll notice that those those bad feelings of anxiety they'll just sort of pass through you within maybe you know an hour and then it becomes a half hour and then it becomes 15 minutes you, you know you just you learn to accept it and deal with it and, and the the less you 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 battle with those bad feelings well pretty much they'll go away on their own so it just it does it just becomes easier and easier so if you're having a bad day know that you'll have a good one the next day correct 
Uh, so how do you know when it is time to move on from therapy? So again, let's go ahead and, and sort of set the stage here that that indicates possibly somebody that is on medication, uh, also somebody that might be in talk therapy, CBT, working with a psychologist or a psychiatrist. When do you know that it is time to move on from therapy? Jack. Okay, well, for me, my therapist started dropping hints. Uh, she basically just said, stop using me as your blanket of comfort, a.k.a. Wooby." right? Uh, again, it got to a point to where our meetings were three to six weeks, one every three to six weeks. And, or, or like it was a 10 minute phone call, like, Hey, this is what's going on and blah, blah, blah. And then she was like, okay, did you do your breathing? Did, are you using your essential oils? Are you working out? Are you sleeping correctly? Are you eating correctly? And I'm like, Mind your business, ladies. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but and and come to find out that that, that was what my issue was, and, and that was kind of compounding everything. Um, so I will also say this: you'll find yourself having a hard time near the end of your therapy with coming up with past feelings or events to share. Uh, it took me four years due to all that I endured during my time in the military and. Well, pre-military coast guard still the military and by the way you served in the um i don't think you were allowed in the boy scouts were you <laughs> they have a restraining order against me <laughs> well that's because you were 23 when you're trying to join <laughs> uh so you know it got to a point where you know like we we would go into the cbd c C CBT. Thank you. The CBT uh, therapy. And we'd start doing our breathing. And in the past, like, you know, uh, all of a sudden, like a, a situation or that had happened or something would just come to light and we, we, we could just we could just talk about it and expand upon it. it. It started becoming like you'd go through like the breathing therapy and everything and like nothing would come up. Um, so it's not like I worked through every single incident that ever happened in my entire life, but I was able to work through all the major ones that were causing the issues inside. Yeah. Basically like you, you were no longer agitating the, the stuff that's kind of below the surface. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um, you know, next you'll find yourself telling your provider about something that happened recently and what you had done to calm yourself to keep from spinning out, like before and, and it'll be hey you know this week this happened but i heard your voice in my head and i started doing those things that you told me to do and i just kind of removed myself from that situation and next thing you know i was good and i got back into it and i was like you know what this isn't scary anymore i can do this um i found this quote uh that i wanted and i am going to completely butcher this name and i apologize uh, bisma anwar she's they are an lpc and lmhc uh long-term burnout can be avoided by consistently rewarding yourself for small victories and celebrating them make time to reward yourself on a daily or weekly basis for things you accomplish instead of stressing over a goal that is weeks or months away I 1000% agree with what this individual just said. Uh, if, and you know, rewards are a must and they cannot be overstated. If you had a great therapy session and you feel amazing, celebrate that. 
Treat yourself to an ice cream cone or Starbucks. Do something nice for yourself that is a reward. Something that's tangible that you can say, I earned this because of X. Yeah, and really try to practice some mindfulness in this situation as well. If you are if if you are feeling good after a great therapy session, maybe just take a minute, j- just even 60 seconds to just stand there or sit there and and just reflect on how you are feeling and really try to chase that feeling and make that your default mode and and just kind of relish in the positivity. Uh, because it's possible that you may feel like crap again the next day, and that's that is okay, and maybe even normal. But um, just try to take a few minutes to just appreciate the good feelings that you're having, and know again that those good moments will they'll last just a little bit longer and a little bit longer and a little bit longer every time. So yeah, that's good advice. You know, next, ask yourself and your provider if you've achieved the goals that you set out to accomplish prior to starting therapy. And that's huge. Uh, A lot of my people, I don't recall setting goals personally. Uh, Obviously I'm going back four and a half years. I don't recall setting goals, but I am positive that my, obviously my therapist did set goals for what she wanted me to achieve. But I, I don't think I was really in a place. And I guess my point is, it's okay if you don't set goals. And I was reading online today, and they're like, you know, have a uh, start a journal for this journey. That's I'm not a journaling type of person. It's not going to happen. No, but some people find it effective, but yeah, it's not ab- for everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and again, I did some research to see if there are any pieces of advice out there that is better than what I'm saying that is based on my experience. And the answer is that for me, not really. Uh, I'm not going to wear a tree of life bracelet that signifies I've completed therapy. I'm not going to own a rock garden and I'm not, I'm not pursuing a career as a yoga instructor. Um, I, I, have, I, ha- I have found there are different ways that I celebrate my successes and I do that by helping others and reaching out to others that are in similar situations that I was in if not worse and and I and I kind of take it on as like my mission now um, and understand this when I talk about you know the tree of life bracelet and the rock garden and the yoga instructor and all that stuff I, that's fine uh, those things are not bad and I think they're amazing if that's what you are achieving to do. I'm just saying that it it does not work for me. Uh, I have decided to have a podcast with a buddy, sometimes, uh, he's a friend, but uh, to help others with their struggles. Uh, And you know, one final thing, when your therapy appointment that you're meeting with turns into a social event and it hasn't been a therapy session for a while, you guys are just BSing for no reason, I think it's probably time to move on, you know? Yeah, that that's one that actually happened to me uh, on a couple of occasions, but basically when you're when when the ther- when you're starting to ask your therapist how they're doing, it's 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 they're no longer your therapist, I guess, right? I mean, like it's just a conversation with a person. And if that happens maybe a little bit too early on and you're 
you're thinking like, hey, I still need help and I still need them to ask me things, but they're just not doing it. They're being maybe a little too casual. Then it's maybe also time to look for a new therapist ultimately. But overall, um, yeah, when it gets to the point where you're, you're having trouble with coming up with things to talk about, with things to drudge up from your past, and it becomes just a little less about healing yourself, then that, that means it's maybe time to, uh, to at least get out of the therapy sessions. Well, uh, I, I have a question. Okay. I, I just want to kind of keep going with this one for a little sure. bit. So this one is for you. And I don't want specifics. Okay. But what are your goals or milestones? Yeah. Because now, actually, let me go back one step further. Do you consider yourself to be in the process of therapy or do you consider yourself to be done with therapy? That That's a fabulous question. I, I don't think that I am quite finished with therapy, but I think that I'm on the back nine. Okay, yeah. Like, it has gotten to the point where most of the stuff that you've talked about here in the show notes I, I are I'm more or less bordering on, on that in that phase but like I still feel like there's some stuff that needs addressing the problem is is that my therapist is no longer effective for me to, to actually to be fair they were never really that effective in the first place I just sort of settled on a therapist because there the options were sort of limited and I just couldn't find a good one by the way I, I like that is the number one thing we were trying to sort of press upon you in the previous episodes that you really don't want to do that. So I'm, I'm obviously not practicing what I preach, but, but ultimately like, um, I, I, I would like to think that I'm on the back nine. I do have some goals and milestones that I would like to hit. Namely my, my biggest goal is to be able to self-regulate without the use of Zoloft. So I had to go back up on Zoloft to 25 milligrams um, which, by the way, is a, still a baby dose. I mean, the, the max dosage is 200. So, I mean, like, it's that's a. I think your average person is on maybe 50 to 75. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a small dose. But be that as it may, I noticed that as I was trying to wean down, I just started a lot. A lot of this stuff just kind of started, you know, rustling back up. And my my ultimate goal is to be able to be able to self regulate without without the help of medication. Um, to me, it is still a tool in my toolbox, and I think it's maybe I, I could probably live without it, but I think it's still a good thing for me to be on at least for now. Um, it's it's an it's aiding my my journey. Um, well, and and that I love that you brought that up because that was kind of like my next follow on question is: Would you say you can complete therapy while still on meds? Now I, I don't. I've never done meds, mm -hmm. and so to me, like I see my essential oils. Like I'm not going to sit here and throw stones and say, "Well, you know what, Chris? I think while you're still on your Zofran, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know your uh, abdominal issues, um, medication. That while you're still on medication, you should probably still be with a therapist because I am no longer with a therapist, but I still use essential oils. So to me, I can't cast those stones. Yeah, right? I think that you can. I think it go, can go both directions because on the one hand, when you're on medication and it's working, it's regulating you probably to the point where you might have trouble with coming up with things to talk about. But ultimately, medication is not a mask and it's also not a magic wand. So all of that stuff that you're you're afraid of or you're feeling that anxiety, that depression, all of that stuff is still there and you can still kind of hear it but it's at a whisper instead of a shout so ultimately yes you can still be on medication 
and and have good constructive therapy. In fact, I would argue that being on medication might even improve your therapy and your healing process because these medications are known to increase brain plasticity, which is a very important thing in healing. So, so, and then the, the other way around, whereas once you're finished with your therapy, can you still be on medication? And I think the answer is yes, because for two reasons. One, if it's a chemical imbalance, which there's some research to, to suggest that that's not a thing, but, but let's, let's go down the path that it is. Well, ultimately you can be done with your therapy, but still have a chemical imbalance, yeah. kind of like how somebody might have diabetes or whatever, and they need medicine for that. So you still need medicine to help that serotonin or dopamine imbalance or... The other part of it is simply that you've gotten everything out that you really sort of need to, but you're still just kind of processing it in your own way, in your own pace. And, you know, maybe I can be on medicine for like another couple of months and then eventually kind of wean off. And that's actually sort of where I'm at, like where I feel overall pretty good about the stuff that I've done in therapy, but um, I'm still on medicine to kind of self-regulate and then we'll kind of you know wean off of that here in the next couple of months again so so yeah i think i think it's a it it can apply both ways well that's awesome because as you're talking i just keep coming up with questions and it's mostly because i didn't take the medication route okay so this is kind of like intriguing me um how do you manage that for someone that's like you know what I want to be done with therapy i want to be i think i'm at a place where i don't need to go see doc such and such anymore but i feel as if the anxiety medication that i'm taking is working and i'm at a even though i'm at a low dose let's take yourself for instance right Uh, i i feel that i can still use that and it will help me but i'm not seeing this therapist anymore so how does that because you're going to need a prescription for this stuff, right? You can't just go buy it. True. Yeah. So, what is it? Something where you're like, you go to your medical provider and say, "Look, I want to be done with this. This is the medication I'm taking. This is what they prescribed me. Here's the dosage. Is this something that you can write prescription for, or like, how's that going to, how's that work? Like, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah, one. that's that's a great question to bring up for listeners. So, ultimately, yes, your your um. Uh, Care. Primary care physician. There we go. Jesus Christ. Your, P- your PCP, primary care physician, can pre- prescribe to you an SSRI or SNRI. We, you know, we went through the gamut of medications. Uh, but also, of course, talking to a psychiatrist, not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. They also can help manage your mental health medications. Uh, m- most medications require some c- form of titrating up and then titrating back down. For example... There is known to be an increase of anxiety when you are titrating up on SSRIs. And then, of course, as you are beginning to get off of them, so like let's say you were on 100 milligrams, uh, they will slowly pull you off of it in order to keep the anxiety to a minimum because you can't have increased anxiety when titrating down. For example, you would be on 100 milligrams and then you'd start and then you go to 75 milligrams for a couple of months and then 50 for a month and then 25 for a couple of months. And you, you get the idea, then 12 and a half and then, and then done. Now, um, so yes, your psychiatrist, your PCP, they can all help you prescribe, manage that medication. And of course, if one doesn't work for you, then they can help you try another and then even another possibly. Um, So yeah, did did that kind of answer the question as far as like med management or? It does. Like, how are you going to get it is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because it it could be a fear factor to me. Sure. For people are like, 
I don't really think I need to go to the therapist, but I, I probably still need to be on this medication. So maybe they're equating in their mind to be able to stay on medication. They have to stay with their therapist. Okay, yeah, fair point. No, that would not be the case because ultimately I would argue that like 95% of therapists are not licensed to prescribe medication. So you okay. do you do have to be an M, well, whatever, an MD or a DO to right. Okay. To, yeah. to, uh, to, to um, prescribe any of those medications. But I but you see what I'm saying like I can I can see where people would see that as a fear factor. Like if I stop seeing my psychiatrist, yeah. then the medication that helps me regulate my anxiety or what have you is going to stop. I I see what you're saying. Okay, so so ultimately, yeah, I I would hope that somebody would know you having not taken this medication, I guess it makes makes sense that maybe you would be kind of in the dark with that. But somebody that is getting prescribed that stuff, whoever prescribed it is very likely not the person they were getting actual therapy from. Psycho- psychiatrists that also perform therapy such as CBT or talk therapy, et cetera, and so forth, that is a very rare thing. It's out there, but it is rare. Um or rarer so so yeah um if you you can end therapy with a psychologist but still talk to your you know primary care physician or psychiatrist and say hey look you know i did stop talk therapy but you know i, I still just need a, you know that little bit of regulation you know on, on zoloft lexapro whatever it is you know or, and um you know can we keep this going for another couple of months i, I highly doubt a doctor is gonna ax something like an SSRI. Now, something like a benzodiazepine, which is like Xanax and um, other ones, but anyway, benzos, those are not only very addictive, they're also, they have a huge come down. So basically, if you're on Xanax and then all of a sudden you like cold turkey stop, you'll probably have some serious, serious anxiety, if not panic attacks, some horrible feelings of depression. Uh, Basically, you know, cutting benzodiazepines, it's, you know, it's like cutting opioids i mean it's you know just it's a it's a it's a big big drug to stop taking but in any event doctors are very very uh, hesitant to prescribe that stuff in general so chances are if you've been taking benzos for a long term period they would probably end up not only stopping it but then when you say doc i need more i need more they'd be like nah you're done okay so let's talk about the lower class stuff not not the opioids and that type of thing yeah right um so do you think with you, Zoloft is what you take. Yeah, which is an SSRI. So what if, do you think it's plausible that you are, whatever, let's just say you feel like you're at a point right now where seeing a therapist uh, is not needed. However, you do see the need for the Zoloft at a very small dosage. Uh, and then maybe you kind of switch to like a maybe your prescription is good for six months, right? Yeah. So maybe every six months you schedule a check-in, right? Yeah. And, and it's kind of like one of those, like, where are you? Where are you? And again, if, if that's the case, then I would say, like my therapist, we have that relationship. That would be the one that, that I would do this with because she could see through my bullshit, I guess, sure. if, if I were trying to, right? Um, but if you're... And I'm not picking on you here, but you're kind of at a state where you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not real thrilled with your therapist, right? Yeah. Not that they're bad. It's just not a fit C- correct. for you. Yeah. So is 
can you see yourself at the end of six months going in for Zoloft and then just basically checking the boxes of saying what they want you, what they want to hear, and you'll be able to kind of, I guess, fool them or whatever. So you so see where I'm going with I, all this? I see what you're saying. I think what you're trying to say is like, uh, would, is somebody trying to scam the health world for for SSRIs? The thing is, though, is that SSRIs don't give you a feeling of euphoria. They don't make you high. They don't they don't calm you down instantly. So they're the odds of somebody SSRIs are handed out like Halloween candy oh. in the in the medical field. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong, I, I'm not seeing this as a narcotic point of view. Sure, I'm seeing it as a feeling good point of view. And you can you could just like I was doing with my therapist, you could potentially use Zoloft as your whoopee. Yes, like I, I I'm I'm nervous to come off it. Because I, I know things are going to go bad. Absolutely. And by the way, that is a thing that that is especially true for benzodiazepines, which is that people will use them as as a security blanket. So I don't like go. You know, basically, um, I'm an introverted person. I don't like going to social events. But I was invited to my you know best friend's you know pool party on Saturday. Go to the party, pop a benzo. Like that yeah. is not an acceptable use of a benzodiazepine. That benzos are there. For a reason but ultimately they're there for like when you are having that panic attack and the world around you is shutting down and you are like oh holy shit like like i'm about to die that is when you take a benzodiazepine and ultimately you should be trying to take fewer and fewer and fewer of them as you go something like an ssri of course not only does it take time to, to for it to even work it also takes a lot of time for it to get you know for it to stop working and get out of your system it's a weird thing but um but ultimately I'm at the phase where if I'm done, where I am closing my therapy, but I still feel like I need to be on a little bit of Zoloft to keep me regulated so I can uh, still train my mind with good habits and good things. If I just went to a doctor and I said, hey, look, doc, you know, I, I don't do therapy anymore. However, I don't think I'm quite ready to come off Zoloft yet because like I tried weaning off of it and I just, I just felt really not good. Chances are he'd be like, cool, let's let's try this for another month or two. Here's a prescription for, you know, 60 days of Zoloft. Let's try to get you back down on 12 and a half after that. So um, that that's that's ultimately, I think, like how that would work out. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what I wanted to know about the whole medication yeah. thing. Um, and yeah, okay. Um, before we go to break, just want to bring up one quick point. Um, Jack did mention something about journaling, you know, and that it wasn't for him and that's okay. Uh, I should, I would like to note from a scientific standpoint of view, because that's my, my whole shtick is the science stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, journaling is particularly useful for those that have stuck thoughts. So those with obsessive, like true obsessive compulsive disorder or, or thoughts that are just stuck in your mind, such as I'm not good enough or I'm going to get cancer or intrusive thoughts uh, you know, about hurting people, et cetera, and so forth. There is some pretty strong science to, to show that if you journal and write those stuck thoughts down in excruciating amounts of detail, that it will help release that stuck thought from your mind and help you move on a little bit. So me with hypochondriasis, um, that I have found to be a fairly effective uh, method of, of kind of helping sort of release that. And it's sort of also... It's, it kind of goes hand in hand with the whole like accepting thoughts and feelings, letting them exist, and then, you know, kind of sweeping them out of the house sort of deal. But 
So my final question. Yeah. In your Chris G manifesto, is there <laughs> bad things about me? That's what I basically want to know. You are the you are the number one on the list, bro. I'm sorry Perfect. to tell you. I'm That's sorry. all. I just <laughs> want to be the best. That's it. That's you know? it. You <laughs> on my on my people uh, people to kill list. You're at the top. Perfect. All right. All right. Uh, we will be. We're, let's uh, take a quick short break, and we will be back really soon. All right, and we are back. So the next part of our segment or the next segment here is what if my world goes to poop again that obviously was not what was written on our show notes but uh you get the idea here so what if what if uh i start feeling awful again so first and foremost while we are we're on the subject of medication is it okay to start taking medication again is it okay to start talking to a therapist again and the answer is yes there is no shame in going back into therapy if you have gotten out of it and you find yourself after three, four, five months just feeling like garbage or that you really need somebody to talk to, go back to your therapist, you know? That's what they're there for. And some people are in therapy for years, decades, if not maybe even the rest of their lives. I don't know. I mean, um, it's there's just no shame in it. You know, go back. Also, if you need to get back on medication, that is okay as well. There are plenty of people that have gotten off of SSRIs and then had to get back on them. I myself am one of them. And, you know, if like, I would caveat, I would make one small catch to that, and that is benzodiazepines. That's stuff you really should take sparingly. But anyway, um, setbacks are going to be a normal thing, especially when you're first you know at the again when you're in the back nine of your of your anxiety game um setbacks and bad days are going to be something that are going to be very sensitive to you kind of like how physical symptoms when you have anxiety physical symptoms are sort of amplified and and every little twitch and every little headache that you have is is um you know oh, this is the one this is so bad like i definitely have a horrible you know disease so too are your emotions. They are also amplified in that same way. So before you had bad anxiety, when you felt sad, depressed, or anxious, you just kind of passed it off. It wasn't a thing you focused on because, eh, this is normal and you just didn't focus on it. But then when you've had that crushing anxiety that is so bad that makes you just scared of having anxiety ever again, when you start to feel those anxiety feelings kind of percolate, that is when you start, you, you, again, you start kind of hyper fixating on those anxiety symptoms. So yes, when, when you are kind of nearing the end of your anxiety uh, game and, and um, you know, these, these bad feelings are coming up, understand that they are temporary, they're, they're minor, they will get better and better as time goes. Don't worry about it. Don't get anxious about it. Don't get anxious about feeling anxious. And uh, ultimately that will help you heal and defeat anxiety once and for all. So if the printer starts picking on me again, right? Like I can just breathe my way through it. I don't need to go out back and destroy oh, no, a you graveyard should, of printers. You should still take that printer into the back and, and kick the shit out of it. Okay, good. I, I thought we weren't cussing, but that's okay. I can, you know? I'll bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, my biggest thing is, is proper mindset. And like Chris said, you need to know that they're – I have may be setbacks, but the, it will be setbacks. Uh, the biggest thing to remember is even though the setbacks I have in life now, they're not going to be to the degree that they used to be 
before I had therapy or before I started understanding how to deal with those situations. And you know what? So what? You know, what if it does? What if you do freak out? What if you do have a relapse? Uh, or how do I not feel as if I failed? Maybe you left therapy too soon, and this is God's or the universe way of letting you know that you just need more time with a professional. Not to cut you off here, but I, I really, this one hits home for me. Okay. To an absolute T. And that is the phase that I am at right now. Yes. We're basically like, again, and I'm in the back nine, but I'm having setbacks. And sometimes those setbacks are a little scarier than I thought they would be. Mm -hmm. And this is just the universe's way of saying, this is your body's way of saying, hey, you know, you're just not quite done with this journey yet. There's still room for improvement and betterment in your life. So let's let's continue this on just a little bit longer. And that is okay. That's an okay thing to have happen. Perfect. Um, and, and the biggest thing, no, you, you're not a failure. Huh? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I like to say it's just a depression demon creeping in and taking up rent in your space, your brain space, right? Um, don't let it. Don't let it consume your life. Somebody, somebody once made an analogous example of anxiety or depression. The best way to treat it is an, an, an unwelcomed guest in your home. Basically, like anxiety knocks on your door. You open the door and you say, you can come in, but sit at the table and don't talk. So you, you, can, you can be here, but I don't want to hear a peep out of you. And eventually anxiety gets bored and it leaves. Yeah. Sometimes you can let the the anxiety guy know that you have a bag of lime and a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay as well. However you want to frame it in your brain pan. Uh, then there's some of those that I've actually talked to that believe they're smarter than their provider. This guy. I didn't say Chris. <laughs> there's actually people worse than Chris that I've talked to about this. Uh, and that, you know what? I'm okay. After just a few sessions, I know where you're going to go with this. I got this. I'm, and in that instance, I would say, uh, that's a case of either you having the wrong provider or you're not fully wanting to deal with the issues that you're having. Yeah. Like a bad mindset towards therapy. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that's almost, if not more dangerous than continuing to go. Uh, Pride is what I would say is men's biggest issue with therapy. It's pride that's keeping them from going to therapy. It's pride that's going to keep them from completing therapy. Yeah, it's true. Pride is... Ultimately, I think the thing that prevents a lot of people from going in the first place or, or at the very least, just like it's like it's like that whole like admittance thing, you know, like you have to admit that you have a problem if you want to begin to heal kind of thing. Like most people don't want to admit they have a problem and that is probably linked to pride. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe a bit of hubris. I mean, just this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, again, ultimately, it, it's if you start to feel like crap again, 
you know, just know that at one point you started to feel better so you can feel better again. It does not mean that you are a failure. Keep at it. Keep working on it. Be your better self. And eventually you will heal your anxiety. It's curable. I cannot, I cannot uh, beat that horse enough. Although I don't, I don't want to beat a horse. I like horses. They're kind of cool. Yeah, I don't understand them. Uh, horses? Yeah, they're huge. And I don't know where the clutch is. <laughs> uh, don't, don't yank on that. That's not a clutch, Jack. Okay, so I got some more questions for you. Sure. Um, and I'm not picking on you. It's um, You don't ever ask me questions. So What are you talking about? <laughs> I ask you questions all the time. This, is not, this, this relationship is one-sided. Yeah, it's me being the <laughs> provider right now. So uh, I'm, I'm going to continue. Uh, I'm not picking on Chris's therapy treatment or anything like that. We are completely open with each other. Um, and, and it's good to get other people's perspectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think it will take for you to finally switch providers? Ultimately, for me, finding somebody just hasn't, it, it has proved to be uh, um, more challenging than I had initially hoped. That said, I'm still very much invested in getting proper therapy. For, I mean, and for example, like there's also nothing wrong with, in, in some degrees, self-therapy. I mean, I have read a number of books on CBT and try to practice that with myself every single day. But ultimately, uh, I, I would like to find a, a new uh, therapist. It just hasn't quite happened yet. You could also chalk it up to me being lazy. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to admit that. So I, I was looking for a reason why, because... You're literally getting ready to purchase your third truck within three months. However, you have stuck with the same <laughs> provider since the beginning. And I, I would say you have more things to complain about with your provider than you did with your last truck that you bought. I don't know what you're talking about, Jack. <laughs> That's because Jack just hit home with something. Well, uh, it to is- To put you on the spot, it, yes. It, yeah. I, 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 I can't, uh, man, God, my wife is going to agree with you. That really pisses me off. All right. So, so ultimately <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome, Alex. Ultimately, um, uh, I don't have an excuse. I should be more diligent in finding a new therapist. I think you could even chalk it up to maybe some hubris or pride is the reason why I haven't started looking for a new therapist. I have been through, um, four of them before I settled on this one and every time I'm with somebody I think to myself I'm smarter than you or I'm more effective than you and to to to, and again that is I think a, a certainly a pride thing I think a lot of that attitude also comes from not finding the right therapist which I guess we ultimately discussed as well so yes I need to get on I need to find somebody that is more effective for me it is um I, I just hasn't happened yet. So I will say this, and this is not Chris's situation, but I have talked with other men who have been in this situation. And the conversations that we had together were more, were a lot deeper in uh, of hard to talk about topics than they had ever had with their therapist. And they said that to me. And I like, I have a hard, I have a problem with that. And I told him, I was, you know, how is it you're able 
to open up to me was something that you have a hard time opening up with your therapist about. So it's either A, you're staying with that therapist because you you do not want to tap into those things. You don't want to bring them up. You're just basically meeting with a therapist to check the box to say, yes, sweetheart, I'm in mental therapy. Like I'm getting mental health uh, treatment and yeah, I'm getting better. Or, which is number one, you just don't feel comfortable enough with that person to open up. And if that's the case, obviously the right thing, the writing's on the wall, you need a different provider. But if it's the first thing that you're holding back, then I would say it doesn't matter who your provider is, you're never going to open up to sure, them. Sure, that's, that's on you basically, yeah. 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 <clears throat> uh, next question. Do you believe there's a set time frame for your treatment? Do you have it in your mind like, okay, like, I, I'm gonna. I gave this six months. I probably need a little bit longer. So let's give it another six and see how it does. Do yeah. You, do you think of it that way, or I, do you? I, sadly, I did, and I'm not sure that's the right way to look at it. Uh, I when I first happened, this all this stuff started happening. I was determined to beat it after six months, and then I didn't. So then I was like, okay, it's just gonna take a year, and I still quite haven't. So I feel very good about the progress I've made. Um, I think that I've made a lot of strides as a, not just it with my anxiety, but also as a person, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. Some great things have happened to me in the last year. And in a lot of ways, because of that, I'm thankful for the anxiety. So I would say that, um, they're putting a time frame on it is only going to serve to disappoint you so that you, sh- you shouldn't do that because when you ultimately don't make that goal, you'll you'll feel either like a failure or like you're not doing it correctly or you'll just feel bad like for me it was well i'm eating better i'm doing the breathing exercises i'm doing the cold plungers i'm doing the wim hof stuff i'm exercising i'm doing this i'm doing that but why am i not feeling better after a year because sometimes it just takes a little bit longer and you know what that's that's okay and it's it sucks but hey that's just the way it just shit happens so um so yeah don't put a time don't put a time frame on it, but keep your goals in your in your scope. Okay, so yeah. never lose sight that you can cure this anxiety because again, it can be cured. So don't give into it. Don't say fuck it. I'm just going to be this way for the rest of my life. You won't be. You just need to to know that hey, it might take me another couple of months, maybe another few more months, but. And again, settle in with some mindfulness. Think about all those good feelings that you're having. On the days that you do feel good, really relish in that. And and ultimately, when, when you keep gripping on those good feelings, they'll last, again, just longer and longer each time. I, I completely agree. And I feel that it's very unproductive, I guess, non-productive, hmm. not productive to dwell on like, okay, three more weeks and my six weeks are up and my six months are up and I'm supposed to be feeling better. There yeah. we go. And you're just compounding the anxiety and everything y- else. Y- you're your absolutely right. You're basically adding anxiety to, to healing your anxiety. Um, I would argue that that was probably a big part of why I'm still having setbacks in some ways because I have maybe unrealistic expectations of where I should have been. 
So, so yeah, it, it, it's it, anyway, it's not productive, productive. It does not serve you. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause so obviously I don't feel like you're the only type of personality like that. That's in the world. Sure. Right. Uh, what if you, I'm speculating here. Could you have those expectations? Like let's say the six month thing or whatever, yeah. but build in contingency plans so my goal is to be done with therapy in a year however if i'm not i'm going to evaluate first of all i'm going to recognize wow holy shit i am 10 times better than what i was and then maybe maybe you've achieved some goals mm -hmm. that you set out but maybe you develop phase two goals you know what yeah. I mean? So there, there's like a contingency. So it's okay to have that plan. Sure. Like I went in and just was just like, okay, give me therapy. Someday this is going to end, but I don't really give a shit about that. I just want to get fixed. Yeah. I, I actually think that that, is, that that is not necessarily a bad thing. So basically if you, you know, you say, okay, my goal is to be healed in a year, but if, but and let's just make this simple, but if I'm not, it's okay. And I'll either continue therapy or continue medication. What that ultimately does is you, you know that sort of like that old you know time oldest time fairy tale where you know you're you're dating all these women and you're you know you're you're trying to be rico suave and you're doing all the right things and pulling all the right moves and it's just you know not working out not working out not working out you just haven't found that that mrs right or that prince charming because you're trying too hard you're trying too hard to impress them and as a result you you lose them because you're trying too hard to get them but then when you just stop trying mm -hmm. you find the right person for you that sort of was like me with my wife and actually i think in some ways my wife with, with me but you know it's you just eventually reach a point where you're like i've dated every asshole in my city <laughs> and none of this is working out i'm done i give up i'm not i'm not doing this anymore and then all of a sudden that's when you meet mr or mrs right it's kind of like that with anxiety now not to say that you should just throw your hands up and give up and you know be defeated by it but the second you just sort of stop trying to fight it and stop trying to always battle the anxious feelings you'll stop kind of focusing on them and stop sort of fixating on them and then eventually you'll re realize after a few days you're kind of like huh that's weird I you know I'm feeling a little anxious right now but come to think of it I haven't felt anxious for two or three days well, that's weird and then eventually that just kind of keeps on happening you know so the the heart the <laughs> Am I, am, I, am I coming across clear on that? You know, it's kind of like the the le, the heart the the less you try, the the probably the better off you are, I guess. I I, I would say that I, I agree wholeheartedly. It was it was when I felt like I needed to spend more time and money on Jack Daniels than I did on women <laughs> is when I met my wife. Right? You know what I mean? Like that was my thing. Like I had given up. Like I, you know what? I was done. The last one put me through the ringer so hey you know what i'm good <laughs> i'm all set i don't need any of this else in my life and that's when you know the love of my life came into my life right me uh this was 28 years ago you were probably in diapers um actually you weren't diapers you're in preschool god i fucking hate myself <laughs> all right so so yeah so that, that that is ultimately um you know the more the more you keep trying to resist it I think the worse, you know, the worse it will be. So, you know, try to just learn to accept, you know, bad thoughts and feelings. Now, now with somebody with 
something like hypochondriasis or intrusive thoughts, you want to give them a place in your head, but you don't want to give them the controlling share. So basically, again, you may sit at my kitchen table, but you don't speak. And the moment you do, I'm kicking your ass out of here. Um, so, so why are you allowing them in? Is that you saying that, look, I'm aware of you be, and I know you're there and I just want you, you know, that the devil, you know, but well, the devil you don't, is that the, your, your mindset? Th- that, that could be part of it, but also because they're going to keep knocking on that door, you know, like, you know, Hey, let me in, let me, then they're going to, you know, knock, knock on your window and then knock on the other window. And then, you know, then you run upstairs to the, and then there's somehow they're, I mean, they're just always going to be there trying to vie for your attention. So if you just if you just let them in and say you're not really a threat to me, then then they stop being a threat. You know, it's okay. you, you I, then yeah yeah. I can get on board with that. That's you know it's it's conquering your fears, right? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest fears, one of the biggest anxieties people have is of fear itself. Basically, an anxiety of anxiety. Because let's let's be honest with you. Anxious thoughts pop up in people's minds all day long, but they don't fear them because they're not realistic, right? Again, if I were to tell you the world is going to end in five days, you would think to yourself, who cares? That's not a thing, right? That's what you want to make all of your anxious thoughts. The reason why some anxious thoughts bother you or affect you is because you have given them value. You have let them take up... uh, You have let them consumed your emotions and stuff. So ultimately... You just want to be able to let these stupid thoughts be there, and then they'll just sort of go away on their own. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah. A lot of questions today. That's not a bad thing. No. It is a bad thing because at some point in time, you need to have some questions to come at me because I might be able to answer something. But I realize just being the guest, I will never be the host. Oh, my freaking God. Oh, no, you know, you know what? You know why I haven't uh, asked you any questions is because we're almost at the end of our uh, episode. Thank God. So, uh, yeah, let's go on a little break and then we'll be back with our summary. All right, and we are back. And uh, sorry to say, but we are at the ending of our episode. We're at the the part where we summarize things. And um, I guess Jack, I guess you can you can start first. Yeah. <laughs> that is mighty big of you. Uh, so. I'm going to throw this out there. If you're coming out of it, you're finishing up therapy and you're kind of asking like, what now? I would say find a group or a Bible study where you can, (laughs) where you can help others get to where you are now. I, as Christians, we say pour out into others. So you may be filled by the spirit or by just the feeling of feeling better knowing that you've helped someone else. Basically, look for opportunities to start a conversation with someone that you know who is hurting and you can tell that they're needing the help that you once needed. I I, I would say, so for, for me, I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, when I got diagnosed with PTSD, in late 2017 and then uh 2018 rolls around i i would say from that december it was late november early december when i got diagnosed with ptsd 
all the way until June of 2018 was just a shit time, right? It, it was it was really bad. Um, something was wrong. I was grappling with it. I didn't understand what it was. Um, I found myself. So here's the crazy thing. Looking back on it now, I can see all these things. But when I was in the middle of it, I had no idea. Like my wife would say that I was very irritable. I was hard to get along. Um, I, I was very distant from the family. All things I didn't think was happening. And looking back on it, I think I was back in military mode where I'm dealing with a bunch of stuff. There's no reason to take it home. And I've got this. I've got it under control. They don't need it. Um, and, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. What finally got me into therapy to talk to someone was was my wife and I separated. And what had happened is she got to a point. She was praying. She was talking to people, different things like that. And the only thing that she could come to believe to get to force me in to go talk to somebody was to separate from me and that was horrible I, it was it was it was horrible I, I don't even know any other words like I immediately called my pastor who was a buddy of mine I called another buddy of mine who who was uh, he he's been to ministries and all that stuff I had another buddy who was at the college I was at that was a uh, former veteran that was uh, that I'm, we're going to have on the show sometime, and uh, like I'm just reaching out to people like, how do I get fixed? How do I fix this so I can get my wife back? I can get my life back. What do we do? Uh, and in that two week time frame, I wound up finding my therapist, uh, which my wife introduced us, and and we just had a meeting and. Honestly, we're in my office and I just unloaded on her. Like I, I just could not. And, and I literally found myself like, uh, like crying at different times. Like I, I just, my life was that, my brain was that far out of control. And I give my wife all of the credit in the entire world because the strength that she had to have to, to basically put our marriage on hold to force me into therapy was, was out of this world. And I was fortunate to have someone like that in my life. But for those people who don't have someone like that in their life and getting the courage, trying to find the courage is damn near impossible. So what I would encourage you is to be that person for them like someone was for you. That's that's great advice. You it's you it's true. You never know. And this is even on a good day, much less you know when you're when you're anxious or depressed. But it's hard to know the effect that you are having on another person. You know, especially somebody like your spouse, where you kind of take them for granted a little bit because they're always there, they're right next to you. So kind of beating them up a little bit emotionally is just kind of a thing you do. You know, it's it's that that kind of stuff is tough. And and of course, when you are feeling anxious and and or depressed all the time, it's kind of hard to that becomes kind of maybe your new normal 
and it's sort of hard to realize like hey shit i do have a problem and i need to fix this i mean i sort of like you obviously different circumstances and and you know maybe even different kind of reactions but ultimately my steam valve it was the same thing just all this built up steam 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 and eventually it just blew and then i had you know the panic attack and then um you know i went from there so that's true it's that's the case but um kind of in summary you know setbacks they're normal they're okay um when you get out of therapy or oh you want to i I do have one more thing sure um i don't know why i'm just not wanting to end this one yet today it's all right Um, so, and this is my impression. I want to know how you feel. Uh, to me, uh, talking about mental health in today's, even in today's age, feels like it's stigmatized. Uh, you know, in my my impression, in the way I feel, mental health is not a cuss word. Uh, you're not going to catch it from someone who has mental health issues. It's not like leprosy or anything like that. Um, how do how do we, as humans? I don't, I'm not even talking about the gender or anything like that. I'm just <laughs> as humans, how do we get people on board with accepting that mental health issues are a thing and it, it's okay to say, I need help? Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know why mental health stuff is stigmatized. I think, you know, I think part of it is because maybe everybody is a little bit scared that they're like that. You, you know, like, because because I think, I think like everybody has things they regret. Everybody feels a little bit depressed sometimes or a little bit anxious, whatever. So, you know, maybe it's makes you seem weak or like it's just hard to admit that you have a problem i, I don't i don't know it's a tough one and i mean I'm, I'm i guess maybe nobody has like the real true answer if there is even in one single answer you know maybe the reason why it is so stigmatized there's multiple reasons as to why but it really shouldn't be um you know anxiety and or depression now, now obviously there's grades of anxiety and depression too i mean like you know somebody with you know ah, i feel blue every couple of days that's fine and normal but like you know somebody with you know manic depression or with um you know whether it's bipolar disorder or or just you know they they feel suicidal for weeks on end you know that's obviously when you you know you need help and there shouldn't be a reason to be embarrassed about it yeah and i'll be honest with you it took me two years of therapy to get to a point to where i told my dad i was in therapy and and why is that well well first off you have a close relationship with him or no I, not really. Okay. Is that uh, why? Well, no, it was more, to me, it was one of those things like I was going to, I was letting him down. Right. Which was, it was, it's dumb to even say now. Sure. But it was kind of like to me that I have failed as a man, I guess, from a skewed Southern military point of view, like, Okay. You know, what, what do you mean you need help? Like, y- your now, job I, is to help others and be there to help them. Now, I, I know your grandfather was in the military, right? Yeah, and yeah. so was my dad. Your, your dad was too. Yeah, okay. I, okay. I, I come from a long line of people in the military. <clears throat> okay. Also Coast Guard? Nope, they were Air Force. Oh, okay. so Except real... for my one grandfather who was Marine Corps. Oh, real soldiers. Okay, gotcha. That's, oh, that's good. Oh, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> How do I put up with this? So... Uh, no, that, that, that is, um, that is a tough thing. Uh, when you told him that you were in therapy, what was his reaction? 
Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> I mean, that's literally. Uh, I, I So, and, and here's the thing, too. Like, this what took me the longest to really come to grips with <laughs> is that wasn't him being an ass and just being like, oh. He, he just, okay, he just didn't know, like, how to react kind of thing. Like it, He didn't know what to say. Yeah. Like, you know, he comes from that generation. I mean, he's over 80 years old. So he's that generation. Like, but I he, don't he know wasn't what, ashamed of you, right? Like, uh, No, it yeah, was yeah, nothing yeah, like okay, that. Okay. It was a, I don't know what to say in this point. And we're not really kind of like a hugging yeah. dad, son thing. I mean, every once in a while we kind of bro hug. I it's awkward, right? I, I, like I got gotcha. you. It's yeah, one of those yeah. things. So, it in and I want people to understand if they have people that do that to them, understand it's not ninety percent of the time it's not them looking down on you because you have mental health issues. It's them not knowing what to say, and and they're coming from I care about you so much. I'm glad you're getting help other than kick-ass sea bass. Like, I don't know what to say to you, and I don't want it to come out wrong. But I, but what they all they need to say is, I'm with you, I support you, I'm here if you need me, and I love you. Th- that's true, because th- that could be, if you t- tell a friend, a close friend or family member, whatever, that, hey, I'm in therapy, or I'm not feeling good, I think I need help, and they don't give you the reaction you want... Don't let that deter you or make you feel inferior or like you're wrong because they just may not know what to say. And that stinks, but, you you know, it's not their fault. I mean, ultimately, most people, for some reason, feel uncomfortable getting intimate, you know, especially with the topic of mental health. So, so yeah, like if you tell like your best buddy, like, dude, man, I'm just really having a tough time and I, I kind of think I need somebody to talk to and they're in the, you know, they're like... Hey, dude, yeah, whatever, weird. You know, give them a pass. You know, obviously, they're not the right person to kind of divulge to. But, um, you know, again, don't let that don't th- let that make you feel bad. I think they need to go from uh, friend to acquaintance at that point. <laughs> uh, and, but you know what? Like, what about you? Do you share that you suffer from anxiety and depression and that you're working with a therapist? Or if someone else in the conversation is talking about it, do you kind of let it you you drop it then that yeah you know i'm also in therapy because i'm dealing with this like i'm just asking and you don't have to answer like we can completely cut this out it's fine yeah but i just want to know where you are probably don't open with that or i don't necessarily just tell most people but i'm also not ashamed or embarrassed about it either so if somebody was said to me like you know, just for example, yeah, you know, Chris, I'm feeling a little, I don't know, a little bad today for some reason. You know, I'd probably say, yeah, you know, well, tell me about it, man. Why, why is that? You know, well, hey, you know, not, not to worry. You know, we all have problems. Hey, guess what? You know, I'm in therapy. I'm on Zoloft. You know, I, no, obviously, you don't want to steal that person's thunder either. The worst thing you can do is if somebody's like having a bad day and they're like, hey, man, I really could use an ear to talk to, and then you talk about yourself instead. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. But, but, you know, I have a lot of problems too. I, you know, I'm, I, you, you call that a mental issue. Let yeah, me throw this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me see if I can top that. Um, yeah. So, so yes, I am not embarrassed about it. I'm open about it. And if people are interested in listening to me, I'm happy to tell them. Um, 
but I have found that most people aren't interested, and that's okay. But uh, yeah, that's just again maybe the nature of of the beast. See, I, I, I so when I announced it on Facebook, right, yeah. with our uh, podcast and everything else, I, I had people reach out to me, dudes, that were like, "Hey, what? Why didn't you tell me?" You know, and it's. And you're like one of those things like, well, you know, that's why I'm in therapy because I wasn't able to tell people. And now I'm out of therapy and I'm able to, or I've had therapy and now I'm able to open up and stuff like that. But conversely, opening up allows others the, I don't want to say the comfort, but maybe that, that helping hand to lift them up to say, you know what, if Chris can do this, then so can I. And then it'll give them the strength to say, Chris, can you help me start the process? Like, I I just need someone to help me go in the right direction. This this may or may not make anybody feel better, but for what it's worth, all the A players in the world, you know, Bill Gates, Bezos, Musk, these guys, Tim Cook, these guys all have therapists. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if, if the most successful people in the world can and sometimes need therapy then hey there's no shame in in uh you know needing somebody to talk to get every actor in hollywood has a fucking therapist i mean it's and i will tell you of the elite units in the u.s military each one of them are assigned medical doctors and psychiatrists (laughs) Well, that is. We, you you have to be able to. These people are operating at such high levels, and they're doing high level things that they can't just go talk to anybody. If if that's the case, why is it that somebody like you, for example, why is it somebody that's not a a general or a you know ten star officer, or whatever? I don't know the terms, but. Why is it that somebody that's lower on the totem pole, it's it's less accepted or like it's almost like you can't say, hey, I'm having a bad day and, you know, because for fear they're going to take my clearance away. So in other words, why is it OK for somebody higher up to need that but not lower? Down? So I, I, I will preface this. That my knowledge of the military is nine years old. Right. So I it's, retire. It's still like that, supposedly, because so, I've got friend, same friends. Same here. Um and, and from what I understand is they are totally open. If you need to go talk to somebody, hey, let us help you talk to somebody. Now, we're talking regular military. We're not talking elite units, okay? Just regular military. Yes, go talk to somebody. You come back and say, hey, I talked to that uh, psychiatrist. I have anxiety. I have depression. And uh, now they've put me on this medication. I can kind of understand it a little bit is now you've, you could have, like if you're taking, I don't know anything about medications, but let's just say Zoloft is on the lower, right? Like it's not, can you take Zoloft and drive your vehicle? Yeah. Okay. And you can operate heavy machinery and all that. Correct, yeah. So you can still drive a boat and go save lives. Yes, it's it's not like, yeah, yes you can. But the, the other ones, the benzo thing. Yeah, benzo you, probably should not <laughs> okay well that's it that takes you out of operational and deployable status okay. like i can't put a weapon in your hand and send you overseas to defend the nation if you're on that because you can't even drive a vehicle 
sure and i get i get that one but it is to my understanding and again still to this day that like if you were you know let's just call i don't, I don't know just like a typical you know middle ranking officer in the air force the navy whatever you know you you deploy every now and again um and then you come back and you're you know thinking to yourself like hey i really need some now, now by the way this is with one exception i guess when you know people are deployed in afghanistan or whatever they do get what is it called like the cool down week or like it's like basically two weeks where they put like the navy seals like in a hotel room they're like isolated so they can basically like try to calm back down so without getting in too much uh you're you're we're so there is a difference the way normal military is treated and the way your soft elite units are treated well so well fine but 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 either way it, like if you need your calm down phase that's one thing however if you were to go to your higher up and say hey i'm not feeling good um i really need to talk to a therapist it is to my understanding that that is looked down upon and then your officer might question about ever putting you back in the front line again kind of like oh well you can't handle this mental stress well then uh, i'm not you know you're not going to be my platoon commander or yes that now now that in the regular military yeah is an everyday thing okay um so i i I, i've experienced this myself in the regular coast guard um you know, there was a, my very first, it wasn't a search and rescue case. It was a recovery case. And I'm not going to get into the details over the podcast, but it was gross, right? Let's just leave it at that. Um, I got bodily fluids on me, in my mouth. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I'm an 18 year old kid. I've been in the military for four months. I'm dealing with this. Now all of a sudden I'm I'm throwing up in the back of the boat and like just crying like a kid because I just dealt with this horrible thing. And then after it was over, you know, my middle grade enlisted person pulled me aside and goes, hey, you, you know, if you can't handle this, then you should not be in the military. Now, right or wrong, the way that person handled that situation is a different topic it's a different debate the essence of what he was trying to get across in a very a-hole way is this is the nature of the business you are in this is what you're going to deal with right now in in standard military you are absolutely correct people are going to hold it against you Sure, because if you don't have the mental fortitude to handle all this bad stuff, kind of like... But, and and those are the people yeah. that are like, I, that will say this. I've been doing this for over 10 years, mm-hmm. and I have never once felt like you feel now. Sure, yeah. A- absolutely. And then 10 years after you retire, and you've either drank yourself to death, or you've stepped in front of a subway train. Yeah. Guess why you did that? You know what I mean? By the way, the suicide rate of, like, Navy SEALs is disturbingly high it's you know just as an fyi and these these people are mentally they've got all the fortitude in the world but unfortunately eventually it kind of catches up i guess so that's not so much the a major portion of it is the job sure a minor portion that they're having terms come to grip with is identity and that's post post 
exactly. Sure, yeah. Post-military. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, how do I live up to what I was in the military? And have I climaxed in life? Is that the very best that I'm going to be? Like, yeah. I- I'm speculating, but okay. I would say 75 to 80% of those people, that's what it is. And when it comes to like the 22 vets a day, that is the statistic of how many veterans a day commit suicide. Mm-hmm. That does not take into uh, uh, death by police, uh, death by overdose, mm-hmm. or I had a buddy of mine whose buddy a week and a half ago, his demons got to him, and in D.C., he stepped out in front of a subway train. Oof. So it doesn't take into that. Sure. It, it, it takes into the traditional suicide technique methods, I guess. Sure. Uh, but a lot of vets, they're doing death by police and they know what's going to happen if i pull out my weapon and point it at them then i'm not committing suicide yeah yeah somebody's sure um i i mean ultimately that done that then leads back to it being a stigma by the way you know like almost this is almost a 20 minute diatribe but like basically it is because it is stigmatized and these military guys and again people in general really they have a tough time talking about it or being open about it and thus it eventually boils over and gets the better of them. So it would be nice if we lived in a world where this was no longer stigmatized. But, you know, I think we're getting there. We're taking steps in the right direction, possibly. But we're not there yet. It's not perfect. But, I mean, I think... I, I think know. the biggest issue is they're taking too drastic a steps. And people are, are railing against it. I think it needs to be a slower tide. Sure. And they're trying to push but, the train overboard. But, but think about how, how it was back in the 70s for women. Like, you know, or 60s and 70s, like if a woman was like, you know, Jack, it's it's 10 o'clock at night and, you know, you were late again, you know, you know, dinner got cold and you were out drinking with your buddies. Your response would be, well, Valerie, you're hysterical. <laughs> you're like, I, I just can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. like, you know, women couldn't say a fucking thing without being labeled hysterical. Right. But now we know that when you're like emotionally abusive to your spouse it's like it women have feelings too so like so so my my point being is that basically like we've made we've made strides in that um we we are more accepting that that our behaviors and actions and emotions and things like that are are you know again everybody feels them i guess so i would i would say this in the military you are constantly being evaluated Sure. Physically, mentally, skills, ability, everything. So, and if you're competing for like, hey, or in the civilian world, we got 10 slots open. There's 20 of you. Yeah. So you, you, it's so competitive and you want to be the, the alpha dog. I I get it. That that's, that's fair. So, you know, it's one whack against you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that, that absolutely makes sense. Uh, Okay. So setbacks, normal. They're okay. They happen. They really can't stress that enough. If you have them, we all do. Eventually, they will stop and go away when you heal your anxiety. Yes, heal. Helping people really is a good thing. There is so much science to suggest that just helping somebody else in need increases serotonin, dopamine, all that good stuff, all those feel-good chemicals that will in turn make you feel better as well. Uh, The effect that you have on people you may not realize the effect that you have on somebody. And that it's a two-way street, whether that's if you make somebody feel bad um, and you don't know the effect that you have on somebody that way, or maybe you're really brightening somebody's day, like you're a role model to another person 
uh, and you just didn't realize it. So, you know, sometimes the effect that you have on somebody might be unbeknownst to you. Uh, if you do have setbacks, if you still do feel bad after you feel like your journey is, your anxiety journey is at an end, uh, you're not a failure. Don't feel bad about it. Just keep chugging along. It is your body's minds and the universe's way of saying, hey, you just got a little bit more to work on. That is absolutely okay. Embrace it. Okay. Take it head on and realize, hey, this is a good thing. A little bit more of this anxiety is keeping me, it's keeping me grounded. It's making sure that I'm going to be a better person later on in the future. So, um, so I think that's pretty much all I got for my summary right now. So I am totally good. I got to be honest with you. When I wrote this, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't see it turning out the way it did. I know I did an amazing job uh, making this podcast what it was. <laughs> you know what? Let's let's just nail him up on his cross and right now. <laughs> <laughs> and on that bombshell. All right, that was episode. Uh, eight of and and part three and the final part of our journey to freedom series Uh, seriously Jack thank you so much for all of your hard work in writing the show notes out to this episode Um, also uh, for being very open and transparent about the things that you have faced in your life Um, you know again that stuff's not easy to talk about especially in a public domain Uh, so you know know, kudos to you and, and thank you for sharing um, Thank you. Absolutely. And uh, anyway, um, hope everybody enjoyed listening, and we will be back with another episode really soon. Thank you for listening to The Only Way Is Up. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please consult with your doctor. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you need to contact us, feel free to reach out to us at support at thecoco.net.